questions, but first um, I put this quotation here, which I am very uh, touched by. This is from Marie-Louise von Franz, who was a person who worked with Carl Jung. And uh, this is from page 28 of the book. We meet those to whom we belong in the world of the higher self. There is synchronicity in how we unerringly find exactly the people who show us to ourselves. We meet just the people who will help us know ourselves and help us find out where our work is. Once you get it that that's a major purpose of relationship in the evolutionary style that our psyche works in, you see that the thought that we had about the purpose of relationship, which is find somebody who makes me feel good, uh, doesn't quite fit. It's not really about that. So something bigger is afoot in a relationship. What is this big thing that's afoot? I'll finally get my chance to work through some stuff. And this does not only refer to intimate relationships, it refers to friendships, to all the people we meet in, our, in the story of our life. Because this fits also for those who aren't in relationships. It's, you're still going to meet people who um, trigger you in some way. What is the purpose of this triggering? To point to where it still hurts, but we're not really noticing it sharply enough to do anything about it. Okay, we had some questions. Uh, yeah. Thank you. My question is about uh, these forces. How can we uh, feel them? How can we recognize them? Because sometimes we feel this impulse to, to, to meet this person or to go to this place, but we don't know yet what's going on. Um, how can we recognize, realize about these assistant or afflictive forces? And maybe it's connected also with the right time to, to face these, these questions that are unfinished in our lives. Thank you. Um, the, way, the best way to know is a strong feeling arises. And Jung says, whenever an archetype is coming up to the fore, a strong feeling will happen. So when you have a strong feeling of desire or of repulsion, that's somebody who can help you find where your work is. It doesn't happen when, the, when there's very little reaction or very, um, a very mild reaction to someone. It's the people who really get your goat or really uh, turn you on. Other questions? Wait, all the way in the back? 
or you had one here first. Okay, right after. Yeah, go ahead. Um, what if you're not ready for intimate partners that can help you move through things? I mean, how does one, I guess you wouldn't really know because it just kind of happens if you're ready, but what if you're not and you stay that way for a long time? Well, this is where therapy could help. <laughs> Makes sense. The very last row. <clears throat> but you're also bringing up another point, which is it also has something to do with timing. Timing has to be right. Now, all the therapy in the world is not going to work if the psyche's timing is not set yet to look at certain things. That would certainly be true on the abuse topic, the traumatic events that occurred in life, early life but aren't really remembered. Um, we have to, we can't force ourselves to look at them. We have to honor the timing. The psyche has to get itself ready to look at something. So it's, so, not, all, it's not just about the work, which is more like kneading the dough, K-N-E-A, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's about the rising of the dough on its own. So that's the timing element before you can do something more with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my question is, you, you brought up that um, we end up in relationships with people that help us work on or, um, or trigger those things that we still need to work on. Um, and then they should also be our companions along the way. Are they often one and the same? Because I'm really good at finding people who trigger my unresolved <laughs> issues and bring them to the forefront, but they're not necessarily the people that I see myself um, having a supportive companionship role with. So I'm giving a new, um, a new, criteria, new set of criteria for deeply meaningful relationships that they that they include um, the ones who point and accompany so this is what I want I want the one because the one who points could do it in a way that uh, is um, judgmental. And so you don't feel safe when the pointing is full of judgment, humiliation, shaming you for being the way you are. Then you haven't really located the soulful partner. This person is only, uh, is in a different archetype. She or he is in the archetype of the judge, not the archetype of the companion. So, the, so it has to be the one who points and accompanies. 
And this will be somebody who admits that he or she has his own issues to work with too. So that's a, a real, this is a really good set of criteria because there are some people who show you your truth, but they do it in an unsupported way, supportive way. So you wind up feeling very unsafe and insecure. Whereas the one who can point and hold you gives you the sense of security and safety. That's the basis of trust. I trust that when you point to one of my shortcomings, you hold me in it and accompany me through the work it takes to work through it. The person who does those three things is the one you can trust. The one who simply points and blames and humiliates and shames, and our parents were sometimes like this, they pointed out uh, inadequacies, deficiencies in us, but they humiliated us or shamed us for being like that. They didn't hold us in our inadequacies and help us work through them or even help us see that they were just normal human behavior. So that would be another thing to work on is how I wasn't held. So we want to be shown while supported in the work. So I always remember an example of this from the movie Dances with Wolves, which probably most of you have seen. As you know, he's a, he, the main character, is a soldier whose job it was to set up an outpost. But since the, since the uh, central headquarters had forgotten about him, he became friendly with the Indians who lived nearby, and he uh, appreciated them more and more and became uh, very connected to them. So finally, in the scene in which the, uh, the officers and soldiers arrive at this outpost, they uh, don't like what they see, and they can't understand what happened to him. Why isn't he acting like an officer, which is what he is? And the, the, the main officer is very uh, confused by this. He doesn't understand how the Kevin Costner got to be like this. So this is the scene I'm referring to. So there's a scene in which he, he, the main character, is tied up. He's in a dark room. He's on the floor. They're try, the officers are trying to figure out what to do with him next. 
and um, a very mean-looking soldier, not an officer, comes in and says, you turned engine, didn't you? And of course, we in the audience are thinking, oh, that man understands what happened, although he's putting it in a judgmental way. But he said it in a mean way, put down of the Native Americans and put down of Kevin Costner. But he did see the truth of it. That's what's meant by somebody sees you, but they don't support you. They use it to turn on you. They use it to hurt you. They use it to judge you, humiliate, shame you. That would be an example. And we certainly can remember times in childhood, most of us, when we felt our parents knew what we were up to, but were not holding us in it. We're not helping us through it. Everybody follow? Okay. I have a question relating to that of childhood. As a parent, is it possible to uh, parent a child to not have these issues that they have to work through? Because <laughs> I try to, but I'm just wondering if that's inherent to well, human experience or... Um, that you're continually holding and accompanying instead of pushing them around and controlling. So are, are there people that don't have issues from childhood? <laughs> <laughs> it's a serious question. I haven't met any yet, <laughs> including myself. But this is what makes this interesting, too. I even once, uh, when I in childhood, I was very absorbed by the Ozzie and Harriet show uh, because it was so shocking to me that there there could actually be a family in which people didn't scream at each other and <laughs> uh, hit the kids and you know. And I remember watching it week after week, and I I remember actually remember thinking to myself, these these people must not be Italian. Anyway, years later, uh, uh, for those that aren't aware of it, it's this, like a family situation comedy with two very nice parents and two sons. And the older of these two sons, uh, later in life I read an article, an interview with him, in which he had so many negative things to say about his parents how they pushed him and they were insisting that he, you know, keep working in show business and they, they were all tied up in success and so forth. And I thought, oh, even he has issues, even being brought up by those two nice people. But, you know, what they were like in real life, who knows. But, but I would say it's pretty much uh, universal that we all have something to work on even though we might have had good enough parents, nobody had perfect parents. Uh, where is the... Oh, we'll come to you, but first let's just get the one person way in the back. 
Yeah. My question is, have you seen situations where you meet a soul connection and that person triggers you in all the areas to grow, but then they unfortunately pass away, so the person's left to sort of sort through the things without the support? Yes. And that's a very sad situation. In that case, does the person need to find the ways of working through those things within themselves or others around yes, them? Yeah. you'd have to then be on your own. So some of the work is accompanied and some of it is on our own, just like in the hero story. Sometimes you're with the assisting forces and sometimes you're in the scene in The Wizard of Oz. Remember when Dorothy was all by herself looking at the hourglass, the witch said, when the sands run out, you're dead. And she sat there all by herself looking at the, so that's the, you know, so she had sometimes alone and sometimes with people who were helping her. So what are they, what are we seeing there? That that will be what our story looks like. So, uh, so this brings up a good point, which is you can't expect the other person to accompany you every minute. Sometimes the other will be there to accompany, most of the time, but other times you're on your own. I can't really accompany you on that because I haven't had that experience, but you can certainly tell me about it. And that is a form of accompaniment too. Uh, we have one more there and then... We have somebody here also. Yes. Okay, this is on a little bit bigger plane, but is there any synchronicity research going on these days that starts to look at the physical manifestation of this feeling of energy, this sense, sort of spooky action at a distance, the whole world of implicate, implicate order? Mm-hmm. Quantum, you know, and I mean, it's sort of like it's manifested, but there seems to be more going on. Well, I don't, I don't know that there really any is anything in physics you can do unless it's in the consciousness realm that would allow you to test out the energy field when this feeling happens, when this emotional hit. You get. So do you know of any places that are doing that kind of research? No, I don't. But that's a very good point that you're bringing up. But there certainly is a lot of research on how so much of what happens can now be explained by the way the brain works. What, what synchronicity tells us um, is that the brain is not limited to the cranium So we have uh, mind extensions that go out into the universe. Synchronicity seems to show us that our presence on the planet is bigger than can be accounted for by our physical body. That we have connections we're not even aware of. And uh, we live in a larger orbit than we ever imagined. Yes, why don't we have one last question there, and then we're going to come up here. 
the woman who has the green t-shirt. Um, so my question is around, um, it may, if you go back one or not, but the, you were talking about um, people that are pointers and not holders, right? So outside the realm of like intimate relationships, let's say other relationships work or whatever, yes. where you have people that are pointing, um, how, do you, how do you handle that kind of feedback? Like, how do you deal with, how do you discern? Because oh. you said one of the things, it's like, it, it's supposed to point you to what you need to work on. Right. But when it's coming in that package, how do you actually discern what is the thing you need to work on? She's bringing up a good point, which is when people judge you, humiliate you, so forth. Of course, you're going to say ouch and no to those who humiliate and shame you. But to those who judge, um, you can't really help that. But we want to place everyone in our loving-kindness practice. So we still do the, may they be happy, may they find Buddha's way, may they become enlightened. May they get off my back. <laughs> um, that's part of what practice does for us. It helps us not come back at people in a retaliatory way and hurt them the way they hurt us. We have found a practice, namely Buddhism, that helps us hold them in our loving-kindness practice while at the same time staying as far away from them as possible. Yes? To um, the first really quick, just in response to the mother who was actually being serious while we tittered, um, it is terribly hard from the other end, I have found, as a parent, to hew the, to the line of being totally supportive. In fact, <laughs> when these little fuckers act up day after day after day, it's pretty well impossible. If you have a child who is prone to um, sneaking um, onto Facebook while he's supposed to be doing his homework, well, then you walk into the room and you, walk and you, and you come up behind him to check and sure enough, he is doing his homework, and he gets furious at you and says that you're humiliating, judging, criticizing, <laughs> distrusting him. Well, yeah, it's complicated. Um, but the, what I really wanted to ask you about is something that I've been puzzling over with for a year now um, and came back to mind when you said this about when an archetype comes to the fore, a strong feeling occurs, desire or repulsion. About a year ago, someone who I had known way long before um, resurfaced. Um, he had, um, it had been kind of a one-way love. Mm -hmm. And um, I was very touched by how he remembered me. I wanted to know him again. Um, we were both older, wiser, presumably. And um, so we were corresponding and talking and eventually he I had some misgivings, but um, he came finally for a visit. And this is someone who true, who was like all of the good things that you could think of, and I have, you know, maybe one of the great loves of his life. 
Um, so he arrives, and almost immediately I start, feelings of re revulsion um, begin to surface in me. It's like a frog prince thing. And um, I just, I couldn't, um, I was overwhelmed by them ultimately. And, um, you know, behaved as well as I could. But it was tough. And it made no sense to me. I didn't want it. Um, I don't understand it. So anything, any words of um, uh, any illumination about that? Okay. It was clearly an archetypal event. Yes. Um, usually the repulsion has to do with somehow you're becoming aware of the dark side, not dark as complexion, but dark purposes what Jung calls the shadow side that we all have, something in us that is selfish, that is uh, cruel, that is uh, scary. And sometimes we pick up on it in a very subtle way. There are no words that go with it. It just comes through as a strong repulsion and we always want to pay attention to that and move away not try to override it and move toward the person so we want to step back and trust that intuition and it doesn't mean we reject the person ultimately but probably one way to handle it is if you're trying to work out a relationship with someone is here's what's coming up for me and I want to be able to talk about it and see what's going on. But it would be quite difficult to do uh, because it uh, is so scary for both people. But uh, you also reminded me of one other thing that I want to just point out. And this has to do with our Buddhist practice because part of our training is that our suffering is caused by, has a cause. It's caused by our attachment, our clinging, our strong attachment or our strong repulsion that makes us want to flee. And the problem here is that when you take it literally, you could miss out on important themes that are trying to come through in your psychological life because the archetypes happen and constellate themselves through the strong feelings such as attachment and repulsion. So the practice is not to get rid of this feeling of attraction or the feeling of repulsion. It's not to get rid of these because these are helpful signal systems 
that show us important features of our own psychic life. The only thing we're working on in the spiritual practice, which can't contradict the psychological, otherwise it isn't really right for us, we just don't get attached to it. We notice the attraction, we let it happen, but we don't cling. We notice the repulsion, but we don't flee. That's the practice. Not no repulsion, no attachment, so that you become so stoical that nothing affects you anymore. That would not be an, an example of spiritual progress. Everybody follow? There was another question on this? Yes. Hi. Um, Hi. I'm just trying to kind of uh, digest here. Um, Am I going too fast? No, no. I, 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 I get it. I just, um, my question is, or it's not even a question, I just want to say, isn't it kind of arrogant to say that we know what this is supposed to be, or isn't it, is it what, what I'm thinking is just to have, and I, someone said it, she said the quote about the mind being open to possibilities, and sometimes we don't even know the synchronicity until hindsight mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, that's how I experience it. And um, it's, you know, I like to stay open through my practice. Um, I like to uh, know my issues, what they are, what, you know, what I'm working, you know, the kinds of things that come up for me, um, and then say yes. And I read this in your book. I'm reading a different book of yours right now that's been very um, helpful. And just to kind of say yes to the, you know, the, the experience that presents itself and that through my daily practice, I kind of know that it's the right thing to go ahead with. Do I know what to do with it? Not always. You know, sometimes I, oh, here's the guy. Here he is. Well, you know, sometimes I feel like that's not why I'm there. It's a more universal picture. It has nothing to do with that. You know, the romantic attraction has to do with something a lot greater than that, that I may not even have a clue. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so that's just kind of food for thought for me. Good. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, she's pointing out the mysterious nature of all this. So um, while working with synchronicity in the ways we've been describing, we're always remaining uh, aware that there's a mysterious element and we're coming to it with what, what in Zen is called the don't know mind, K-N-O-W. <clears throat> So we're there as wonder, what people who have wonder, rather than people who have an answer. I, I'm glad you brought this up because this is an important point. It could sound like, all that we've been saying, could sound like, oh, it's very clear, it's very obvious, sort of like uh, working with mathematics. Here are the numbers and here are the solutions. It isn't really in that category. It's in the realm of mystery. Mystery uh, is from a Greek word 
that means hidden. So it's hidden from the logical mind. That's why I was saying something is at work and we don't know what it is. We don't know how it's working. That's an acknowledgement of the mystery. So we always come back to this. And even when, um, even when you're talking about how it works in relationships, it remains mysterious there too. Although most of us have had at least one relationship, like say the main person who really uh, put us through our paces. And that was the one who did the pointing. And we have to ask, did she also do the holding? And did she also do the accompaniment, the companion? Was she the companion also? And if all three of those happened, then there was something very right about it. right for us, not right right and wrong, but uh, fitting. And then there are some who only pointed and didn't hold. That was not the right one for us. <clears throat> Any final question? Okay, way in the back. Let's have one last question. You mentioned you're saying that is not the one, but then you also talked about there may be many who are accompanying you. Yes. Yeah, and yes. so... Like friends and brother, sister, anybody. And your one, the, the one, the main one, maybe, is that one accepting of these others? I mean, it, that would go along with holding and accompanying and, mm -hmm. yeah, supporting, yeah. Yes, And remember that the ego part of us, the part that's scared and controlling and entitled and gets compulsive and tries to get everything to come out just right and is very self-centered, that part um, will not look for someone who points. You want to skip the pointing, go straight to the holding. But that's not going to happen. Because everybody will bring something up that um, helps you see where your work is. So the ego might uh, be threatened by the one who points and just want the, the mothering holding style. And uh, when you meet that kind of a person, then then you're, you're also in a different category from mature adult relating. It's more like parent-child. So the mature adult relating will be, uh, you help me see wart, you help me see the warts and all. 
and you hold me with them. You don't reject me, push me away. You stay with me. So hold me is the same as stay. And you go through it, through whatever it takes to work this out or resolve this or deal with it. You're with me as I deal with it. So this is what I would call a soulful connection. Because it does resemble what we imagine, believe, hope for in what's called a higher power. Help me see that my life had become unmanageable. Instead of rejecting me, held me in it, and went through the experience with me. So a 12-step program would be an example of the three criteria coming together very perfectly. They don't let you get away with not seeing that you are an alcoholic, but they hold you meeting after meeting and day after day because they've been through the same thing and they don't reject you no matter how many times you fail. And they do the 12 steps with you. This is how you know that it's a legitimate program because it includes all three. So it's a nice connection to make between a recovery program, a recovery program that really works is something like a relationship that really works is something like what a higher power would look like. This afternoon we're going to go into the, the opportunities that come up in the events that occur, the opportunities for practice, the opportunities for the work, and that by synchronicity we have things happen to us that give us these specific opportunities that I'll talk about. So this morning we talked about how it happens in relating to people. Later we'll talk about how it happens through the events that occur, the happenings. Okay, we have an announcement and then we'll take our break and we'll, I'll come back around a little before two to sign any books. So if you're interested in that, I'll be here. A little before two. Great. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, 
just a couple of announcements here. But first, to start with, you want this? Some gratitude. Thank you all for coming out here and in this beautiful rainy day and sharing your afternoon with us. And I wanted to say thank you to all of our work exchange volunteers. We have a wonderful group here today. You'll see them with white tags like myself, and they're here to answer questions and help you. Our, a lot of our programs, really all of our programs, depend on the assistance of volunteers. So if anyone is interested in future volunteer opportunities, please let me know. I'm happy to answer questions. And I'd also like to thank anyone who carpooled today. We are um, continuing uh, to encourage people to carpool, especially on days like today when our our muddy mud puddle of a parking lot in the back is overflowing, so um, it reduces our carbon footprint and really helps with the community and the traffic out here. So thank you to anyone who did carpool. And then um, most of all, I would like to thank Dr. Rico for his, his presence today, his generosity in being here. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard our Donna talk before or know uh, the way that we do things here at Spirit Rock is... The fee that you paid today uh, goes to Spirit Rock. It actually does not go to the teacher. Um, this is in the tradition of the teachings. Since the time of the Buddha, the teachings are offered freely. And um, we do charge a fee to help with electricity and, and whatnot. So what you paid today is really just a portion, about 70% of the operating costs of the day, um, supplies and, um, and whatnot. But um, none of it actually goes to the teacher. He's here out of his own generosity, his own dedication to the teachings. And I wanted to honor him and his presence and say thank you very much for being here. Um, we are deeply grateful for, for what he brings to us. And, um, and to support him, we have Donna baskets in the hall. And we um, accept payments that go directly to him. It goes through our accounting system, but all 100% of your Donna today will go to Dr. Rico. And um, I like to think of it that he is here today based on the generosity of others in the past. He is able to continue to offer these teachings because others in the past have been generous with him. And, and if you would like to support this tradition and, and encourage his future teachings, we, we would like to invite you to, to look uh, at what is a right amount for yourself. There is no right amount. People often ask me what is appropriate. And the amount is really um, what warms your heart. It's a different amount for everybody. And it is a practice of non-attachment. So it shouldn't be a painful experience, but it, it should be something that you feel, something that feels good to give. So um, it's, it's nice to just take a moment and, and decide for yourself what might feel good to, to give to support today and future teachings. So the Donna Baskets will be available in the hall um, all day. And then some logistical announcements for lunch. We do have a silent retreat going on up the hill. So we ask you to stay on this side of the wooden gate uh, to, to maintain the separate of the participants up the hill who have been sitting a silent retreat. You're welcome to walk the grounds. I think we have a break in the rain so you can um, stomp around in the mud and enjoy yourselves. You'll have about an hour and a half for your break. Um, and then if you did not bring your lunch today, the closest place to find lunch is uh, in Woodacre at the deli. It's just about a, a quick little drive. There's instructions in the hall for how to get there. Um, and then you are welcome to eat here in the hall. Please be mindful of our carpet and um, try not to spill if you do 
come get me. Um, and then, of course, we have some wonderful events coming up I wanted to share. Next weekend, Joanna Macy and Jennifer Bearson will be here uh, on Sunday for Stories and Songs of Today's Bodhisattvas. It's going to be a, a beautiful event, and I encourage you to, to pick up one of the flyers and check us out next weekend. Additionally, um, the following Sunday, Jayu Tal and Deborah Chamberlain Taylor will be here uh, for a, an evening of chanting and meditation for our absolutely gorgeous winter solstice ritual. It is held in our upper retreat hall. It is beautiful. I saw it last year for the first time, and it is quite breathtaking, a beautiful way to honor this time of the year and, and uh, prepare for the next part that's coming. Um, and then we also have... In January, Sylvia Borstein will be here on January 5th uh, with a day long of beginning and beginning again, an overview of the path to happiness. So there's lots of wonderful events coming up. Our new schedule events just came out, so you can pick up a copy to, to peruse our goodies that we have available in the next year. Um, and, if, and again, if anyone does have any questions, please come see me. One person I would like to see um, briefly is Brooke Pomerant, if, if she could see me in the office quickly, that would be wonderful. And uh, for those of you who are taking CE credits, you do not need to sign in and out at lunchtime, but please do stay till the end of the day. Certificates will be available then and only then. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.